Hello, this is the Tribe Stories, the curated sermons, conversations, and collections of poetry of the Tribe Lagos. The Tribe Lagos is a gospel expression based in the city of Lagos, committed to reaching the next generation with the message of God's love and grace. May this refresh and revive you as you listen. I just want to quickly draw a couple of scriptures. Um, this week, if you track on the news, there is um, a contention in Israel as we speak. Uh, there has been this battle for a two-state solution between Israel and the Palestinians. And so uh, Trump made a campaign promise to move the headquarters of the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And that kind of polarized everything. Now, if you track from Judges, when Joshua and the children had come out of exile, they were now getting into promised land. So all the 12 tribes had to take territories. I'm saying this to say that every one of us here, part of what we are called to do is to usurp something. Because before we arrived here, Adamic model had prevailed over everything. So every system you are likely to meet is actually in need of some kind of redemption. All right? So you're called to usurp something. And when you look at Judges, if we, let's turn to Judges. I just want to pull out a few scriptures uh, from Judges chapter 1. Now, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who of us is to go up first to fight against the Canaanites? The Lord answered Judah, Judah shall go up. I have given the land into their hands. The men of Judah then said to Simonites, their fellow Israelites, come up with us into the territory allotted to us. Fight against the Canaanites. We in turn will come up, will come up with you and they will fight the, the Simonites. And then the Simonites went with them. When Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. It was there that they found Adonai Bezek and fought, and fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they chased him and caught him and cut off his tombs and his doors. Now, if you go down again, Judah attacked Jerusalem also and took it. They put the city to the sword and set it on fire. Now, after Judah went up against the Canaanites living in the hill country, the Negev and the western uh, foothills, they advanced against the Canaanites living in Hebron. Now, if you read through all of this, you see how different tribes, uh, the, Benja um, the Benjamin, but a couple of them did not completely take territories. One or two of the tribes decided to cohabit or coexist with the people that were living there. Now, there's a potential tension when you find that kind of construction. One of them is that they are likely to absorb the culture of the people. So God wanted, no, trust me, uh, the war, for a, for a while, I couldn't figure out why the loving God would tell them to kill the Perizzites, the Canaanites. Because if you look at it from a mortal point of view, you will struggle to say, you know, I have this atheist friend that will say, that was genocide playing out. And he has refused to believe most of these things. Because this is genocide. Now, the thing, the thing about this is that a lot of the Old Testament is actually a shadow of what is to come in the New. So everything you see about the Canaanites and the Perizzites is not just about human flesh. It's actually about the system of thinking. It's about the old nature of man. So when you come into the New Testament, there is a contention. Everything you see about the Canaanites becomes what you know about yourself in flesh. And let's not forget that our experience with God is on three levels. First of all, our spiritual reality is established in our spiritual life. So you're born again is a spiritual reality. But the war continues in your mind and in your body. 
So if you don't take reign of your mind, you're losing the war. So a lot of people are still living in circle because why they are redeemed in their spirit, but their mind is not renewed to the realities of that redemption. So at every point in time, they are still in the context of the life that they want. So there is a lot of unlearning. And, and for your spirit to come into the fullness of what God wants, so your flesh is not born again. Let's not even contend about that. Because my force lost that yesterday or last week. And it's because this thing is not dead. It, is only, it can only be controlled by the renewed mind. So the contention between the flesh and the spirit, Paul started to give us context to this thing. He said, see, there's a war in your spirit, between your spirit and your body. While your body is seeking to take reign, your body is actually under the law. But your spirit has been redeemed. So that, that battle is always going to play out. You wake up in the morning as you're standing up the first thing, you want to pray, your body is telling you, please, five more minutes. Just five more minutes on the bed. And you wake up at it's eight o'clock, you have to run out of the house. So you want to fast. That's the day you're, you're calling in the office to bring the, the, the red velvet cake. And who says no to red velvet? You know? Alright, so, but you just sort of realize that there is always a pattern. Because why? This flesh, if you're being led by this flesh, so on Thursday I spoke about servants on horses. And it's still the same context that there is a servant thinking that our flesh is a slave to sin. But we've been redeemed and free in Christ. Now, the reality is that we are free. But this man must serve us. We must not serve the man. So if you're a Christian and you're listening to the voice of flesh, before long, servants will ride your horses. You wake up one day and you realize that you're following them everywhere and your direction is nowhere. You're riding fast but going nowhere. So at every point in time, you have to modify the desires of your flesh. And that's what Paul was talking about when he says you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. No, salvation is a gift from God. We receive it by faith. What salvation are you talking about? Because the process of redemption, spirituality is only the first step. So our spiritual life is the beginning of the journey. When you received Christ as Savior, you established access to the things of God. But that's why you hear words like redemption, restoration. It's because at every point in time, you're in this journey of reclaiming all that has been lost. So your, 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 your spiritual life is the reality where God has established himself. But your mind, according to Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, is yours to renew. So if, you, if you're sitting down here, and your mind, you're not deliberate about your mind, weeds will grow. Your mind is supposed to be like a garden. Please, be careful what you allow to drive into your mind. Protect it with everything you have. The moment you open the boundaries, you realize that everything is bombarding you. These days, I'm being very careful as to the kind of conversation I even have. You understand? I think God has heightened my impatience to trash. You understand? I just, I'm, I cannot even, I cannot endure a conversation that is going nowhere. A conversation that is not to empower, that is not to rebuild, that is not of good reports. I cannot endure that kind of conversation. Williams is in church. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you guys about Williams in a bit. All right. Okay, so uh, let's, let's I'll, I'll, I'll tie this together. Let's go back again to First um, Samuel. Okay, I'll give you... So in First Samuel 17, what's happening here? Now... There, there was a scene called the Valley of Elab. Now, in the Valley of Elab, the Israelites went to war. So, on one level, they were staying on the left-hand side. The Philistines were staying on the right-hand side. And Goliath was running rampage. So, Goliath woke up that day and realized there was no man in Israel. No man. Do you know they went to war for, for, for 40 days? Nobody could climb and fight. Then go home. So, they stayed at the valley. Goliath to wake up in the morning. No man in Israel. He that is born of a man in Israel. Show up. I'll slice you into two. 
So he, he was making noise and guess what? King Saul was already hiding with him. King Saul was there. So David's father told him that because David has about, I think about eight, uh, seven brothers. So there are eight of them. And the three elders went to war. There was Eliab, there was Adonijah, and then there was Shammah. About three of them went to war with Saul. And the father, you know, at least if they kill them, come home and bury them. Because then in that city, they live for war. You know, your, your, the two occupation was fight or do farming or shepherd stuff. You know, there was no other, you, you don't do poetry. But David was a poet though. You don't, you don't, you know, you, those, that, that was not the, that was not the obtaining careers at the time. So they were there for days. And God told, um, Jesse, Jesse told David, take food to your brothers. When David arrived the scene, David, as he was approaching the, the bus stop, he was hearing the voice of Goliath. And Goliath was making noise like, today Israel, will, I, will slay, I will slit them into two. Use them for breakfast. You know, he was just bragging. And David, David said, what's that? So they called him aside. He said, Saul made a promise that everybody that can go against that guy will become wealthy overnight. He will give him his daughter. Some very grand, I mean, Imagine when the ransom is on the table and nobody's reading it. Nobody's willing to pay the price. So Paul must have printed the, uh, Saul must have printed everything. Said, see, this is the, this is the price. If you can kill that guy, slice him into four, this is what you get. So David asked them, so, is that what they will be giving to the man that will kill that guy that's making noise? They said, yes. While David was talking, his brother got angry. His other brother came and saw him. Let me show you what his brother said. Look at 17, verse 28. So some of you that have been bullying your younger ones, you don't know what they carry. You don't know what they carry. And anybody that has been bullying you, forgive them, they don't know what you carry. Alright, so see what his brother said. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with, with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. And I guess what David said, what have I done now now? You know how you are bullying your younger brother? And he's like, what, what, what have I done? You know. And he left his, his, his elder brother and went to King Saul and told King Saul that, see, I know what, I know what to do to this guy. You know, but guess what David was coming from? David was coming from an experience of God. So David did not take on Goliath for the first time. If you look at 38, 34, where we read, David now started to explain to him how he said, um, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from his mouth. And he started to give him the experience. Because the point is, if you don't deal with the little challenges you have now, the bigger ones are in front. You don't kill no lion, Goliath is going to slice you into four. Because life is meant to be lived like that. Life is not without challenges. See, we don't, we, we, when you go through life, you become stronger. So don't wait for the challenges to wither away. Do you know, at some point, there was one particular day I woke up, challenges had finished in my life. You know, I, there was this moment when, because I had known a life of pressure, and that moment there was a break. And I, I mean, I was even wondering, like, how come there is the next day again another big day? You understand? Are you realizing that? No, because don't wish for a challenge free life. Don't wish for a Goliathless life. Because the crown you seek and the reward you're waiting for is actually in that which you conquer. So wish for the conquest. Not for the comfort of your zoo. Don't go and be hiding. No, no, go for it. So whatever you're battling now, I don't know what, what stage is. Some of us, we are still at the beer level. 
After the beer level, you now get to the lion before Goliath. Trust me, let the accolades come. Deal with the small ones. Eventually, you get to the point of the big one. So, think about it. He told her, and then when Saul saw him, Saul was like, okay, you know what? I don't know where you're coming from right now, but I want to believe that there is something you know that I don't know. And Saul was very convinced that David would die. But there was no option. It was David or, or nobody. So he thought, okay, you know what? Well, let's watch him die. This young man, I don't know. Anyway, we're going to watch a decent burial. We'll give him a decent burial. But let's even dignify him. So Saul started to tell him, come, let me dress you up. So they carried all the regalia and they started to put on him. David no Fiwaka. He tried to move. The thing was heavy. So he knows that David is a speed guy. Don't run through Goliath. Goliath was looking for you behind. That thing would have slowed him down. So David said, see, I cannot fight in this. This is not my tools. There's a point there. Don't let people give you the tools that are not meant for you. So you've taken strategies from other people, but it's not designed for you now. So what you have, what you, what you realize is that you're either running too slow or not running at all. And Goliaths are coming and they're picking you up because Goliath was not meant, you're not following the strategies that are meant for Goliaths. So he said, let me use my own tools. And even Saul was the more amused, like, oh, you don't even want this. You don't want to use this thing. And they were watching the guy. The guy went and started to pick five stones from the water. And that could even say, okay, first of all, you won't, you won't use a spur. Because Goliath was well, the guy was clad, like wired to the, there was even more, you see everything, you can pull from here, pull from there. In fact, in all of, he was a huge guy. In, I think six, the way the Bible, there's, you know, this, the, the way they measured his height, six feet, cubits, there was one plenty, plenty stuff like that going on. But he was a really huge guy. In all of their, his country, he could see the heads of men. That was how tall he was. And David just came, pulled it on on him. So let's look at what... Um, so then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fasting on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. He says, I cannot go in this, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the guy. Philistine, that's what he said there. But think about it for a second. Okay, he took away everything and approached it. So I want to talk to you this morning, what I call the David's advantage. And if you, if you go back to chapter 15, you will see why Saul was afraid. And if you go back to chapter 15, you will see why David was not afraid. Can we see it together? Okay, let's go to 16. So, first of all, verse 15, or chapter 15, rather, of 1 Samuel chapter 15. Here, Saul had gone to battle. God gave him an instruction. Saul, this is what you're supposed to do. The guy actually got back from battle and broke the rules. First of all, he was supposed to kill and leave everything. As he was leaving now, he saw the nice stuff. Everything was there. And he said, how am I going to kill this, kill it, and leave this thing? So, he brought everything back with him. So, at the end of the day, when he came back, you know what Saul was doing? Saul was having party. Even Samuel that anointed him was looking for him. He did not come to pay women and say, God, thank you. Saul was building what? Like what some governors are doing lately. Building a statue of himself. That's what he was doing. If you read in chapter 15, you see him, he had designed his own statue right now and was having a ball. So when Samuel came to him and said, what, have I, what are you doing? 
You know what I told Samuel that see, um, I came, I brought these things because we need to sacrifice to God. And, and Samuel said to him, God didn't de- demand all of these things. Obedience to God is better than sacrifice. So don't give me cheap excuses. So the reality is that God knows our hearts. We can excuse away for all we want. But when the push comes to show, God sees your heart. He knows the, the motives. So the point is that God judges with intent before the actions. Some of us, our actions are terrible, which is not good. But intentions are not always bad. So, but the point is God saw his heart. And when God tried to quiz him, you know what he said? He actually told Saul that, see, I, I, the people, I was afraid of the people. So I had to now come with it because they were not saying, are we going to leave all of these things? So he was afraid of the people and he now had to come with it. But in chapter 15, what we find out was Saul was not interested in the genuine repentance. What Saul wanted was to look good in the eyes of the people. So even when God told him, I have turned the kingdom into two, you are no longer king over my people. You know what he told Samuel? Samuel, please, for the, for the life of me, hold my hands. Let's just walk out of here. He wasn't interested in repairing his relationship with God. He was more interested in looking good in the eyes of the people. Just pause for a second and think. How the actions we do, is it more to look good in the eyes of the people? Because that's a slippery slope to down low. If that's the way you're going, you're never meant to live to appease anyone. I mean, the one thing that you need to do to lose it for God is when you begin to seek to please people. Sometimes the post we throw on Instagram, you know that that post has no business going on there. But you're sending signals. And trust me, all of those things, if you're, if you're wired for something great, those things are a distraction. So what he did was, he literally managed out of that place, knowing that God has fired him. So in chapter 15, we see God taking the kingdom out of Saul's hand. So Saul knew he had lost the anointing. And Saul knew that he was not connected to God. That was why he was afraid. Because if you look back, chapter 14, 13, 12, Saul was anointed by Samuel. And Saul was powerful. He was going to war, pulling down stuff, killing people, and he was celebrated. In fact, his legitimacy to become king was his conquest in battle. And suddenly, this man that was tall, handsome, strong, was now lily-livered hiding in, in the cave of, um, in the valley of Eliab because why? He had lost connection with God. So he was afraid. I'm saying this to say that fear is a symptom sometimes. If you have fear, just this unnecessary anxiety and being anxious is oftentimes a symptom of a disconnected life. Because we're never meant to live outside of God. So when you wake up and you realize anything is a trigger for you, any, any comment is a trigger for you, any headline is a trigger for you, any, anything gets to you, check again to see whether your that connection with God is still driving all that you do. So this man had lost his anointing and yet was parading himself as king. He knew before him and God and Samuel. And until Samuel died, they didn't have a conversation again. Alright, so see the last statement, 34. Then Samuel left for Rahab, but Saul... That's 1534. Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah. Of, and, and until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. So even the prophet for, left him. So what you saw in chapter 17, him hiding with his men, not going to battle, was only a, a, a manifestation of something that played out in chapter 15. Chapter 15, he lost his anointing. All right. And then in 17, he was now hiding. But chapter 16, David got anointed. So this was the anointing of David. And it was interesting because at the end of the day, God anointed David in his father's house and made him a king. Just about the same time. And after God did that, guess what? 
God plagued Saul with an evil spirit. The guy woke up, he couldn't sleep. And then they were looking in all of Israel for somebody that could play the pipe. And guess who they found? David. I don't know if David was the most skilled in playing because he was more a shepherd boy, not a musician like that. But God had made a room for him into the palace because God was preparing for him to give him a picture, a preview of a coming reality. So he got into Saul's house and anytime Saul was plagued by evil spirits, David would play and he would ease him off. David was anointed and David in a sense is a prototype of who we are in Christ. Christ is the anointed one and is anointing. Alright? And the same way David carried that anointing and was not afraid, you're called to live life unafraid, unashamed. You're not called to cower in at every seat. The point is, everything God was, God invested in us. So think about it. At some point farther down the line, God knew that he was going to be a man. Right? God knows all things. So he slain Christ before the foundation of the world. So God knew that he, God, would one day become a man for the redemption of the souls of men. And when God was creating man, I think God took that understanding that one day I will bear this body. One day I will carry this flesh. And God designed it in mind for him to live. So if at all, you have a, you're a collateral benefactor of something God did. So you're carrying the same essence that God has in himself because God knew that. So if at all you can see the way God sees you, you will not even sit down here and entertain the excuses that is keeping you down. I told them on Wednesday, 80% of the problems in this world that is killing Christians, they are not spiritual. They are mental. Because the spirituality here has been sorted. Christ said it is finished. He shed the blood. There is no other blood now. That blood has been shed. The point is walking in the realities of that thing and renew your mind to it. So if after your spirit is renewed and your mind is not, you are going to live in the negativity of everything that God has saved you from. And guess what? The mind is in itself will put back the chains that have been broken off your neck. So the point is, for a second, realize that courage is your birthright. It's part of your DNA. That's what God wired into you when he created you. The first time we see fear in the Bible was in chapter 3 when Adam ate the apple. We saw him, he heard God's voice. What happened? The first time you will hear God's voice in chapter 1 and 2, he will come out and fellowship with him in the cool of the day. But in chapter 3, after eating the apple, he heard the voice of God, he was afraid and hid himself. Why? Because that sin fractured everything that he was and fear crept into him. See, we, we, we now, the point was the way God designed us, we learned fear. Fear was not part of, fear was not natural to us. We learned fear. But in the fallen man, in the Adamic man after the fall, fear is natural to him. We have to unlearn it. There are many things that we are entertaining today that we have no business keeping them if we know who we are. And this morning conversation, I'm saying, the things that are coming after you, please don't coexist with them. Whatever it is, you have to nail them. Between you and Goliath and the palace, every challenge that will come your way, go with them. Go on them with the strength that God has given to you. And you also, so two advantages I need you to understand. One of them, I'll talk about, David was anointed. And that was something you need to understand. That we are first the spirit. And we have a, a priesthood side to our lives. So your spiritual essence, you must not compromise. Whatever you need. So I'll say if you're dieting, don't keep chocolate at every turn in your house. Because it doesn't mean that, you, I mean, if you're dieting, be dieting now. 
So do you know, I, I, I started gym small. I gym for small. Small like that. That's that first month, second month. But after a while, I got harder. And I got wiser. So I, 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 I debated to slim tea. So this, this, this morning, I said, after you wake up, just take a slim tea. But slim tea slapped me the other day, so I put a little sugar. And Lily told me that slim tea plus sugar is zero-sum game. But I told her to prove it to me because I haven't seen it anywhere. But the point is, life is, in a sense, if you're going to become more in life, if you're going to attain anything in life, it's almost like you're climbing up a hill. It's an uphill tax. But if it's to settle for mediocrity, I'm saying it because I'm building a business. And this church, eh, as small as we are, has taught me lessons. These days, I don't criticize no one anymore. Guess what? Those who are building nothing, they can criticize. So, it, it, honestly, I'm, I'm praying I don't slap somebody. Because I can't even stand that somebody who has not built anything, you own no business, and you're analyzing people who are keeping late nights, trying to figure out how to get things going. And you, you come and say, see, that's not how to be. You know, that if you should shut up and go and try a church. If he's able to save one soul, then I'll listen to him. I'm not saying there are no merits in what he's saying. There are some merits in some of the things he's saying. But that attitude of pulling away from what people are building when you build nothing is demonic. There's no God in that. You understand? So don't, don't, the, the best way to criticize people is to express that which God has given to you. And the moment you miss that template, trust me, you will struggle. See, uh, see David, the second thing is, David understood his tools. So he was anointed, but understood his tools. He understood what God has called him to do. So my point is, God himself will give you the template for that which you are supposed to do. The day you leave that template and you're borrowing from somebody else, you're carrying on a baggage that you don't need. And before long, you can't even move. And guess what? The grace of God thrives when we are in the obedience. Like, that place of obedience, you will be so... Trust me. Uh, I've seen God firsthand in that. Just stay in the place of obedience. Don't even be bothered. And you guess what? Some people will come, but they mean well. They'll tell you, no, edit. Add. Remove. You understand? And if you're not careful, if you're living from outside in, where the opinion of people and the voices of men is how you do life, you come to a point where you're stuck, you've missed it completely. And then you start struggling with a lot of stuff. So preserve the template. See, not everybody will like it, but you're not called for everyone. And you must settle for the fact that the ones that are called for you, they are called to you, they will build with you, they will stay with you. If you try to keep those who are not called to you, you're going to spend a lot of energy catering to people you don't need and you will sink. I'd rather climb the mountain with one person that is willing than stay down the valley with 300 people who have no where they're going. Alright, they're going to drown you if you stay long enough with them. So my point is, figure out again that you don't need everybody in this journey called life. You don't need them. In fact, this is a season of delete. No, it's a season of delete. Somebody posted something in Kings and Prince that, was it, that, uh, okay, we have this prayer group. And the person said, how can you have 20 guys you're drinking beer with not want to do business? Like the day you need to raise capital, everybody's broke. No, my brother, you're leaving the phone. Because at the, at the end of the day, no, 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 the end of the day, arrange yourself. No, okay, let me not be too brutal on that. But the point is, I'm saying this to say that because we, we don't need some of the things that we're doing. There's a season of, of preparation where you need to insulate yourself from everybody so that you can allow your, build the spiritual strength you need to take on life. And when you now start early enough, you will never arrive. Even God had to tell Lot, um, Abraham, see, this is your guy. You know, Lot had tremendous struggle when he left. The next time we see Abraham going after him, he was going to rescue him from him. He had been kidnapped. Now he's fugitive. No, now he's captive. Alright, see, the point is because the evil has the source. If God is your source, let your trust be on God. 
Trust God for the template and the patterns and the things he's revealing to you. And other people are succeeding. Clap for them. Celebrate them. But don't feel that they have to lose for you to win. It is, it is not the way it works in the kingdom. See, the kingdom is a constellation of stars. You're meant to shine like the city upon the hill. Just the way I'm shining like the city upon the hill. My shine is not taken away from your shine. It's, it's not competition in the kingdom. It's collaboration. We're all shining together, amplifying the effect of our light. So that at the end of the day, if any man's success here is your threat, my brother, you're not in the right field. And you don't have the right thinking. So the first thing I said, David was anointed. He knew strongly he was anointed. He was not afraid because he knew he had the backing of God. The second thing was he knew his tools and he stayed with them. He didn't have to borrow. The third thing is perspective. When you, when you don't have the right perspective, see, we're in the age of perspective, not of information. Because information is everywhere. So you are, if it's information, trust me now, before I go and say, doctor, I've read everything the doctor needs to do. So, yeah, yeah, that is the, this, yeah, yeah, carpal tunnel. Yeah, doctor. And the doctor will start arranging himself more, you know, because you've downloaded enough, you know. And even lawyer today, the other day I did a template now, only one small skill that I didn't see. Lawyer now said, you see, you should have looked and said, okay, but the point is, I'm saying knowledge is everywhere. It is the use of the knowledge, the application of it, and the perspective you have that you bring to data that will differentiate you from everybody else. So the point is, if you don't have the right perspective, eh, you're going nowhere. Let your perspective be aligned to Christ. So David did not go and see Goliath. You know, see, Nigerian my God, if that was his perspective, trust me, the guy would have fled, taking his father's food and said, Daddy, how your, my brothers are not coming back. What is in the field? <laughs> Daddy, I can tell you, what is in the field? Saul is, Saul is hidden. Everybody, the, trust me, that battle is lost. Why? Because... The perspective he had wasn't just a perspective he was borrowing from CNN. It was a perspective that was rooted in his understanding and relationship with God. So he kept saying, who is this guy that defiles the armies of God? Who defiles? His own point was, you know who God is. As in, the anger he felt was, you know God. So think about it. Saul, you know, Saul was always telling Samuel, your God said, your God, God Saul, uh, Saul is sick. Sorry, but he never, you know, he never could transition from God of Israel to my God. He kept saying, your God, and this guy, you don't get it. He's not Samuel's God. He's as much a God to Samuel as he is to you. So the point is that nobody's holier or closer to God than you are. And nobody will pray the prayers that you ought to pray. So while you're waiting for the church to call for vigil or praying for one seven-day mountain or night-night vigil, break everything, trust me that the powers you pray for yourself or the words of God in your mouth will be as powerful as those in his mouth. And that you're the first prophet of your life. So don't outsource that role. You know, so when you go, there are some places where people exist to pray for you. I, say, I, I declare a fast for you and I can take it on you. 200k. Jibril. The enemy will be running. Alright, so they create the need. Up until you show up, you didn't even know that there was a spiritual battle. And they said, it's close, it's near. The, 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 the enemy. Is you know, I even told them a story of how my mother, my mother, my mother is a little cynical. But she loves God. So she went to see her friend. The friend, these are friends that likes prayer contractor. So there are different shades of them. So that day she went there, she met one of them. And that one, um, while she was praying, my mother was not laughing. <laughs> the man caught my mother, the prophet. The man was upset my mother. How dare you mock the anointed of the Lord? And give her, I, seven days I see a coffin. <sighs> my mother rejected it, you know, said, now lie. My hair is strong. I'll be prophet, you know. So she came back, all of us said, ah, give us his number. How dare, how dare, threaten. Do you know, two days to that day, my mother, my mother called us and said, I beg this thing where this man see. 
you know, we're not laughing like, Moses should be you, you, you are the prophet of like, say, this thing is my, see, if he correct, <laughs> but I, I, you know, at the end of the day, so I remember that night of the seven days, she declared fast for all her children. She chose the, the battle was because she declared fast and she now, she got all the oil, anointed, anointed oil from Oedepo, a mountain of fire. She designed her room so that if you cross Oedepo, you won't cross Oedepo now. <laughs> yes, that, you know, but it was all fear. By the next morning, she was calling and saying, I make a mo. I said, there was no making it. The fear was just unreal. But you know, people live their lives in perpetual fear constructed by people to manipulate them away from see life uh, if you know this word of god that's all you need i'm not saying that there is a difference between religiosity and spirituality some people can be religious broke and bitter but i'm saying be spiritual in the way that you're not confined by the dictates of men some people are their own christianity is on other people's experience of god so they don't know god for themselves and there's a world of difference between knowing god and knowing about him so you can know about him john 3 16 he lost you quote but when the push comes to shove and the rubber hits the road What's your response to the crisis of your life? What's your first response? Is it to call other people or to go to him? See, this, this, this morning, as we close, keep this in mind. You are anointed already. There is no other power you need that is not resident in you. I don't know if you watched that movie when we were growing up, President Evil. Permit me to introduce you to resident supernatural power. Because that is the reality of who you are. So as he is in this world, so are we. Alright, and keep that in mind. Never compromise that reality. You know, live life from there. Your business seats. Nigeria can be in a recession. Trust me, some people are, some people are not in this country. They're always traveling. Are we not in a recession anymore? No. Because recession is first a reality in the mind before it's first in the country. So it is who you're connected to, to the source you have. If your mind is not aligned to the source, you, the poverty of the land will hit you. So God told the children of Israelites, mark your doors for the Passover. For the evil will come, it will not touch you. Your doors are already marked. Your heads are already marked with his blood. You don't need, trust me, you don't need to be afraid of traveling or flying. Make the plane fall. I'll come out. You understand? That's the way I feel about it. There were, there were seasons when I was afraid. You know, and then the planes were falling off the sky like this thing. And you'll be thinking, my God. Remember there was one particular day we had this huge turbulence. And one lady was crying. It, when the plane, when we arrived, if you see the joy on her face, she was like a three-year-old smiling oh, that this one like life oh. and th- that period i was broke and i was in debt so my own i was like god call us home <laughs> let's 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 meet you tonight <laughs> i was willing to honestly you know that some people so trust me when you see all those guys oh no when, when you see honestly when you see all those guys crossing road you know this jack on the bus stop okay jam me now no jam me please leave the man if you have to wait one hour okay i, I know where don't worry i'll wait creep creep out but i'm not going to help you to where you're going you know so but the 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 reality is never forget that the tools you have you need to upgrade so what it means is what brought you here from yesterday might not be what will take you into the future so you need to then also understand that what are you investing into your life now that'll take you to where you want to be so of course the last book we read was bsc 400 like, I don't know one course, but that, that course that you barely made it through, that was the last book you ever read. And in fact, that book, I must, I'm sad to announce, that book was outdated. The book was 20 years late. And now, 10 years after, you still not read another one. So you're a century behind. 
So yesterday I was actually talking to a friend about on, on Friday I was talking to somebody about cryptocurrency. I don't know if you know guys heard about cryptocurrency. Sorry to just dive out there. You know, Nigerians are cynical about all of these things. And the guy was so blocked minded, he could not handle it. And I realized it's a spiritual problem. That if the Lord does not end, if your eyes, the eyes of your understanding is not enlightened to see that the poverty that is killing you is in the mind. So all the things we learn from our parents, genuinely, some, some of them are good things, but they didn't know any better. So they taught you how to operate with scarcity. So even that 30% or 20% you're meant to invest for your future, you eat it. Because 20%, I'll be giving stockbroker, I'll give you, oh, let me hold it all. You know, some of them will tell you that that, that savings account is the best account because it's safe. But I'm saying the life God has called us, there's this uh, scripture in, um, um, it was in message translation that I saw it. He said, the spirit of the Lord beckons. There are places to go and things to do. God has never called us to a life of comfort and relaxation. He has called us to a life of adventure. So for God, every day you wake up, there's a new book to write. There's a new contact to establish. There are new things to do. He's God of the new. So don't just look for the pain that will bust the bubble. All right, that's not your goal. Your goal is to constantly track with everything that is unfolding, even if you're not into investing into that thing. Know it. So, I explained to someone that was looking for a job, you have BSc geology, and they're looking for data analysts. And as we speak, no Nigerian university offers a course in data analysis. But everyone who's running a digital campaign or building digital products, we want to know the data, we want to see the intelligence, we want you to extract and make uh, assumptions based on that data and I can invest on the data because data don't lie they lie sometimes but the reality is if you don't upgrade and it's, it's in a, in, even in a, in a simple term so there's a spiritual upgrading which is that at every point in time keep pressing yourself into you know don't go a year and you have not taken three days off your phone go somewhere off your phone I'm saying off it let them all reach you for one day you understand that business that will miss because you off your phone one day to go and seek the face of the Lord is not was not meant for you. But I'm saying that we are living in so much noise, we are living with we are becoming so accustomed to noise and insanity that we are deprived of because the, the real spiritual man is meant to be lived from here out. So if you are disconnected from those things, you miss you're, you're missing it. You're living from outside in. You will never find the flourish of your spirit. See, and I explained to somebody that how so. How are dreams born? God is giving you dreams to do something. Alright, maybe to, to build a business, dream for your life, build for your career. But the way we conceive of a child is the same way we conceive of a dream. So a dream is oftentimes an intercession with another. And when two ideas meet, a dream is born. Or when two, when two, the way an X and Y chromosome would sort of like meet or whatever, or XX or you know, the combination. And in, 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 so that's the way it works. So the point is that your dream is hidden in the things you need to read. As you are reading about stuff, you're, you're connecting the tapestries and the line to that which is your dream. So we are launching a new media company in the office recently and I bought a magazine. I read an article. The article was just an express image of what I had in my mind. I could never believe that I was late. That somebody had actually perfected this model. You understand? So I cycled the thing. I started passing it around everybody in the office and I was seeing the Im Im impact of that. But those guys, I didn't just see that. They gave me two strategies that I will localize. I'm like, man, I need this thing. This is how you're going to operate it. So my point is, 
If I didn't read that, it would not fertilize the idea we had. And that idea became bigger and better because it was fertilized by something. So the real secret of life is hidden in, the, in this book that God told Joshua should not depart from your heart. Meditate on it day and night. For herein lies the skis to success. Good success. There's a quality of success. He calls it good success. He qualified the success. Not bad. There's good success. Premium success. Alright. So this morning, let's bow our heads. You can log on to thetribelagos.com or email us at hello at thetribelagos.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter on The Tribe Lagos. God bless.